Welcome to LeapCast. I'm your host, Dr. George James. LEAP stands for leaders, entertainers, athletes, and performers. And I'm on a journey to connect with high achievers and highlight their unexamined human moments. Tune in to learn how these high-achieving LEAP individuals were able to reach their greatest potential, face their most difficult challenges, and embrace the human moments that helped them along the way. If you want to get the episode highlights directly in your email, then head to theleapcast.com right now to subscribe. I am here with Christy Iletto, uh, AP and Emmy Award winning journalist. She's a reporter and fill-in anchor for 6ABC. Uh, she joined them in 2015. She has amazing credentials for her background. Mm-hmm. And she's done so many wonderful things, and I know that she's going to highlight that as as we get into this. Um, one of the things I thought was amazing from her career before she even joined Philadelphia, she was one of the first journalists to extensively cover the arrest of Freddie Gray, a 25-year-old black male who died from spinal injuries while in police custody. She was on the grounds. She was right there, uh, right before things even broke out, helping folks in Baltimore, Maryland, and across the nation to know some of what was going on. Christy, welcome. I'm excited to have you here. And I I just want to get into a little bit of your, uh, I'm going to call it your leap story. And I would love to hear more about how did you get to this place in your career? Um, just take us on your journey, please. Um, like how did I get to Philadelphia? Yeah. Or just really, this point, okay. Being a journalist, uh, doing the work that you do, you know, give us a, a little bit of your story. Okay, so I'm from the D.C. area, um, and my first, let's see, I went to Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, and then my first job was in Alabama. Like journalism program, right? Yes, the Medill School of Journalism is one of the top schools. But that also doesn't mean that you have to have a journalism degree to go into this field. (laughs) I just want to put that out there. All right, that's good to know. Um, There's still a chance for me. There's still a chance for you. I mean, first of all, I see you on networks everywhere, so I think you're good. But um, so I graduated from Northwestern. My first job was in Alabama. My second job was in New Mexico. Then I went to Baltimore and then I came here to Philadelphia. And um, I will say, I feel like as much as I didn't appreciate it at the time, my first job holds a very special place in my heart because that was where I learned not only how to be alone, but also how to do my job better. And it wasn't just, oh, how to tell stories better. It was how to relate to people who I wouldn't normally interact with on a daily basis, right? Alabama is very different from where I'm from. It's very different from DC. It's very different from Chicago. And when I went down there, I was like, oh my God, I I don't recognize anything, like not even department stores. And it's an entirely different way of life down there to the point where I mean, I graduated when I was 21 and people would be like, I don't see a ring on your hand. And I'm like, what? (laughs) That's the last thing I'm thinking about is getting married. (laughs) What are you talking about? Right. The cultural shift. It's very different down there. That young, right? Yeah, it's very different. Um, And not to say there's anything wrong with it. It's just not anything that I was used to. Um, To the point where like their entire newscasts on Fridays are all high school football. It's two minutes of news and the rest of it is like highlights. So fun fact, I actually shot uh, football games and cut the highlights and called the highlights. 
for my first job on Friday nights, which I know nothing about sports. I don't pretend to know anything about sports. And it was actually pretty embarrassing the first few times that I went on air for Friday night sports. But I got the hang of it because I learned how to A, hustle, and B, how to get creative. And we had an intern who had just graduated. And I said, hey, I'm going to shoot this. Tell me what to cut because I don't know what I'm looking at. And tell me what to say because I don't know what I'm looking at. Wow. And that was how I worked out a system. And that was how, you know, the beginning of learning how to be creative, make sure, you know, it gets done. Mm. But also, okay, I'm not going to take the traditional way of getting it done, but it's going to get done. I just have to find a way to make it work for me. Um, you so said some things that are just really interesting to me. I mean, when you said earlier that working alone, dealing with the culture, cultural shifts and differences, and being able to hustle. I'm like, that's a package right there. Like, how how did you navigate that? I mean, like, to me, that's interesting to be okay with being alone. And, oh my God, I and then still barely made to hustle. It. I barely made it. I mean, and that's why like Alabama holds a special place in my heart because I literally would cry myself to sleep every night. Wow. Be like, why God did you bring me down here? Why am I here? Like all my friends are in New York or Chicago or DC. And, you know, I'm just out here by myself, not doing anything on weekend nights because I you know there's like not really a lot to do. And it was hard, but I had, that was where I had got a lot of like spiritual growth, a lot of personal growth of a learning how to function and being happy by myself. Also taking this introspective time to be like, okay, I'm here for a reason. I don't know what it is but I'm going to learn what I need to learn so that I can get out and use whatever that is for my next job. And then when I, when I got that thought process, that's when everything started to kind of fall into place and it became easier because I wasn't thinking, Oh, I just really want to leave that. Da, da, da. It was more like, okay, great. What's the next story? How, like, what do I need to learn with this? And it, it didn't have to be like the storytelling. Again, it could have been, I'm going to a neighborhood that doesn't really like people who look like me. Yeah. But my assignment is to cover X, Y, and Z. So how do I find common ground? How do I find, um, you know, a way to tell these stories and have these people trust me and open up to even talk to me? And I think that was the best life lesson because you can apply that to anything. It doesn't have to be to work. It could be just like walking down the street. <laughs> <laughs> and having empathy for somebody that you wouldn't necessarily be like, hey, we would hang out, but I understand what you're going through. It hasn't happened to me, but I can relate. I can find a way to relate to what you're going through or at least be in a capacity to empathize, to be able to tell whatever story that is. Um, and so that was the best part about being in Alabama. Wow. I mean, I think that's really cool and interesting. Um... And in particular, when you said like you used to cry yourself to sleep, I, I know so many people, high achievers like yourself, that on the way to the, the journey, as you're moving forward, as you're moving up, there are moments where you don't you wonder, like, why am I here or why am I doing this? Or you might be crying yourself to sleep. But I'm really interested in how did you make that shift? Right. Like I, I hear how you said, like you went to like thinking about what can I get out of this? But what was that moment for you, if you can remember, that allowed you to go from crying yourself to sleep to getting the most out of it? 
I know, honestly, I don't remember. It probably was just a lot, a lot of arduous conversations with my parents, particularly my mom, and a lot of prayer. And then there was just this day where I was like, what am I, I'm like literally wasting time complaining when I've been given this gift to learn. And I think it was also listening to a Joel Osteen, um, <laughs> who like, oh my God, he's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think I'd been listening to one of his like messages on a Sunday and, you know, growth doesn't happen until you get uncomfortable. Like you have to be uncomfortable and go through certain challenges to, to actually grow. And I was like, oh my God, that's me. I was like, God is talking to me because this is literally like, I'm a fish on a mountain here. I cannot relate to anything. And then I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm, this is my opportunity to learn how to find things that I have in common with these, with people that I'm in this community that I'm doing a service for, which is telling the news and telling stories that are important in their community. And honestly, that lesson that I learned in the probably year and a half that I was in Alabama, I've carried that to New Mexico. I carried that to Baltimore and I carried it here to Philadelphia. So now for me, I'm like, there's nobody that I can't meet that I can't like have a conversation with or find something in common with, even if I would never talk to you again, right? We may not ever be friends. Yeah. It's not like I'm looking to try to hang out or have some sort of relationship, but if I'm covering you or we're talking, I can find something I that we can I like relate to. I really love that quote of, Growth. Say that again for me so I can really get it. Growth doesn't happen unless you're uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Because when you're, when you're, and I mean, that even, and these challenges happen like now. It's not, not to say like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm thriving. I mean, I feel like I'm doing pretty well. But at the same time, like, if you're not growing, you're dying. And I'm, you know, I'm very happy where I am. And, but then it comes to a point where like, okay, do I need to get out of my comfort zone to kind of have those growing pains mm. to get to the next level of whatever it is that I want to achieve? I mean, I think that happens in any point in your life or in any trajectory of your career. I, you know, I love it, right? Because, you know, between, like you said, conversation with your parents, because I think about how many people are pursuing life and moving forward. You know, even in my own work where I think about sometimes people miss that there can be wisdom from people around them. And not everybody has parents where they can have these tough conversations with. And and then also to go through the self-discovery. And, you know, I've had my own Joel Osteen moments, right, where those moments where you're like, man, he just said something that I am just going to hold on to because that just feels like it hits me at the right moment. And it sounds like all of those things really gave you like this great experience, this great perspective that you've carried with you to this moment right now. Yeah, and, and I will say like, in the moment, I wasn't happy about it <laughs> at all. Not. And I'm not you gonna be lie. Uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> right, and I mean, and I'm not gonna lie, like when I got my second job, I was like, deuces, I'm out. I definitely felt that way, but at the same time, I look back and I'm like, if ever there was a job and a place where I grew the most professionally and personally, it will always be my first job, yeah. always, hands down. And that is why I feel like that holds a very special place in my heart because had I not gone through that, I don't think that I would be able to do my job and be the person that I am right now. I wouldn't be surprised if other people in, in the LEAP community, once again, leaders, entertainers, athletes, and performers, 
wouldn't say the same thing, right? There's something about that first job, that first gig, that first performance, that first athletic event or early in your career that that shapes you, that gives you something that you remember and hold on to. Like I remember my first few clients and the things that I gained from those experiences and I hold on to some of that even now. So Chrissy, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, what would you say has been the biggest moment for you in your career or the, the moment that you are even most proud of or happiest about? Oh, I don't know. Um, I right, have a few. So just pick, pick whichever one you want. But I, I want to hear one of those moments that you are like, you know what, this, this part I love. Um, I think the first time that I sat on the desk in New Mexico on the anchor desk, I was like, oh, and you sit there and you have all the lights on you and you have all three of the cameras around and you're like, this is happening. Nice. Um, I think that was probably one of my favorite moments that I have not forgotten. I was so nervous too. And like my hands were sweating. And I think I had like a pile of water <laughs> on the desk from my hands. <laughs> um, and I think my second one was when, I guess it's twofold really. It was being in the riots in Baltimore because I never thought that I was ever going to experience anything like that. You hear about those types of stories um, just because, you know, older African-Americans will say, oh, you know, things got tense or popped off, like right after Dr. King was assassinated. And, you know, a lot of cities like had their uprisings. Baltimore was no stranger to that um, after, you know, in 1968. But you hear those stories, but you don't think, oh, that's ever going to happen. And then like, you're there and you're watching like the first set of bricks fly across the street. Wait, to wait, how close were you to like I was so close. popping off? Oh, I was I was like right in it. I got maced on live television unintentionally by police twice because of just the proximity where I was. Wow. And we were at a safe distance. It was windy, so that's right. why it, it traveled the way that it did. But um we were really close. And I had covered that story um a whole week before the unrest. And then um, these kids were getting dismissed early and they wanted to do some sort of protest from this mall called Mondalman Mall to this intersection called Penn and North. And my job had called me in early and I went there with these two photographers and we had a live view. That was when like DeGero's first started. And they were like, okay, let's power up. And we did. And I just was there. And then I remember I said, I'm going to step out. And we pointed down the street. And I was like, oh my God, they're throwing bricks at police. These are little kids with backpacks on. And then it was like, it was like five bricks. It was like 15 bricks. And it was 25. And the next thing you know, it was just, wow. it was, it was happening. I was like, oh my God, this is happening. It's like it's um, things where also you think about, like, I can remember where I was, uh, I was actually working, I was finishing up my doctorate degree and I was at Temple at the Student Counseling Center. I was working with uh, clients and, and I remember working with a client that's originally from Baltimore and was saying, that, yeah, I, I used to live down the road from that CVS that they keep showing. Oh the CVS, oh my God, yeah, at Penn and North. Yeah. That was like the epicenter of the riots because that was in West Baltimore and it was crazy. Like. And, and the photographers that, were, that I was with were like, you know, anytime there's a riot, somebody's gonna get set on fire. And I was like, are you serious? And then boom, like you see this huge plume of smoke like down the street. I was like, oh my God, I think that's the CVS. 
and then like the chopper starts going up and this producers in my ear it's like yep the cvs is on on fire da, 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 da. and they're like okay um i can only imagine so, though, when you take those two moments right the being at the desk the cameras the puddle of like <laughs> sweat on my hands <laughs> right and then you take the riots i'm wondering who, who did you talk to first? Like, who do you share your experience with after those moments? Um, so for the desk, I shared that experience with my parents and my boyfriend, who's now my husband, um, but he didn't live in New Mexico. He was in Chicago at the time. So those were like the three most important people in my life. And then I actually didn't talk to anybody after the riots, which I think was a detriment to my mental health because we were on air for about like 12 hours, maybe 11. And um, <laughs> I had unintentionally left my personal cell phone at home. So nobody could get in touch with me, which now like looking back was probably the best thing because I was literally in the zone and there was no way that I could talk to anybody anyway. But I remember, and I was also, let me preface, I was living in Silver Spring at my parents' house and commuting back and forth to Baltimore because I was trying to save money and pay off my student loan. Hey, I get it. So, <laughs> I know that life. Right? You know that life. It's a real Another story. <laughs> so I remember driving home, which was at night, you know, and at this point, I think it was like three in the morning, is a very easy drive. It was like 30-something minutes, like door to door. Um. And I was like, visibly in my mind, I was just like, did this really just happen? Like, I'm exhausted. I still have mace all over my face. Like I need, I don't know what I need to do to get this off of me. And I remember one of my friends, when I got home texting me saying, hey, make sure you rinse your eyes out with milk. Da, 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 da. And I was like, okay. Um, but I just, I literally just went to sleep. And then I woke up, you know, I think maybe six hours later and my job had asked me to come back into work at one. So I ended up working like maybe 70 hours that week. Oh my gosh. And so I was like sleep deprived. I really wasn't seeing my parents, but I remember telling, you know, my dad knew that I came home, he saw the car, um, but he knew that like I had come home late. So he didn't bother me. And I remember he texted me just like, and this is, I, every time I talk about my dad, I, just, I speak in his accent. He's like, hey, good, you okay, good? I was like, I'm fine, dad, it's fine. He's from the Philippines, but he thinks he's black. So everything in his mind is like, hey, good. Uh, look, I'm all about <laughs> accents. You know, my parents are from Jamaica, family. Right. Uh, I'm all about all of the accent them. Jamaica, not every one of them. <laughs> right. So, but I didn't really see my parents that week. Um, mm. I was trying to explain it to my a husband who was then my boyfriend like what I had been there and he was like you look like you were fine I saw like you were on CNN a couple times he's like you look like you were okay and I was like yeah maybe but I was just I, I think in my mind I was like I'm so angry and I didn't know why I like things were just really triggering me that I wouldn't normally be triggered by and my sister said to me she was like I think you need to talk to somebody because I think you might have PTSD from just what you experienced I was like maybe I don't know but I never did because next thing I knew um I got the job here because my boss saw all of that and was like, oh, you should come work at Channel 6. <laughs> which was like, And so then I just left and I was like, okay, bye, see you later. Which, when you talk about being at the desk in New Mexico and you share that with your parents and your boyfriend, then now husband, right? I, I, that just sounds amazing, right? Your close network is the people we share things with. 
hopefully. But then when there's tough times or even challenging times that we're trying to figure out, sometimes we can get stuck. And I can hear how like what you did and how you reported it was actually instrumental and helpful to so many people and also helped you with a promotion, which a new opportunity, but also had some costs and some some challenges that you didn't even get a chance to really process. And, you know, I think like a lot of us can get stuck there or like we can have new opportunities. We can level up, we can move on or, mm-hmm. you know, but sometimes those experiences that we've had can impact us. And so, you know, I, I think like what you're saying to me or what I'm hearing is really important about how sometimes we got to check ourselves. And even when people think we're good, we, we might not be. Right. Well, and so to that point, I didn't deal with that in 2015 until last year in 2020. And that was because while I was not a part of the unrest Saturday night into Sunday morning in Philadelphia for George Floyd, I did cover, like I had to go in that morning, which I don't work in the mornings, but they called, you know, they were calling everybody and like, all hands on deck. And they said, could you go in the field and, you know, morning report on Sunday? And I said, yeah, that's fine. Because I could see like all the stuff burning from my house in Center City. And I was like, oh my God. Um, So I go out. And I got into an argument on air with this guy who started telling me I was a traitor to my race because we happened to show him looting. Wow. And I mean, I wasn't disrespectful by any means, but he was definitely, you know, hurling some very egregious stuff at me. And your job. I remember, right. And I remember getting off work and coming home. And I was like, did this just happen? twice in five years for me like this is the second time in five years that I've been in something like this and I just remember crying when I came home and I think a lot of it was you know everybody was dealing with the pandemic yeah right everyone's dealing with that I'm a new parent who also my doctor had said you have postpartum depression but I didn't get that handled because I was cleared to go work out like a month before the world shut down and then by the time I needed to get to see somebody, I was like, I'm not doing telemedicine with somebody I've never met. So I'm dealing with that, dealing with that. And then this happens and I'm like, oh my God, I need to see somebody because this is just, it's out of control. Like I'm an emotional train wreck. And really like I come home and I'm like scattered and emotional. I go to work and it's like, okay, time to level up. Go like, go to work, kill it, come home, cry in a closet. That was literally what I did like every night for like a month. I think you're talking about the the pressure sometimes of being a high achiever in in jobs that are highly scrutinized. Like you said, like there are times you just got to go level up, perform, do your job. And then people don't often see the other side that like what it takes out of you, the pain that you might experience, the 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 opportunities that you don't have to even catch your breath. And and, you know, I'm hearing how you're saying, like how these Two, two major events, plus life, plus pandemic, plus just how people, I would assume, like put you in these racial kind of like traps that you have to navigate. And it's a lot. 
and and the fact that you're willing to share, I'm, I'm you know I'm really appreciate that you're you're sharing all this because I think sometimes we just look at people on TV like yourself, people who are reporting, people who are in these jobs, and we just see the glamour, we see the the highlights, but we don't think about these that you're a human, you're a human being, and you also have to experience things just like any and all of us, and and sometimes in a way that probably feels like you have to deal with it privately and and alone. And so I, I'm glad that you were able to get a chance to talk with someone. And I'm wondering yeah. if you still went back to your support network in those times. So I would say, so at this point, like now I'm married to the then boyfriend and he was very supportive. Um, just, I think, also, and I can't speak for anybody else who's gone through postpartum depression, but for me, um, it was, I know I don't understand what you're going through, but I'm here to listen. That was what he would always say to me. I'm here to listen and I'm here to provide what, whatever you need on my end or what I can do for you. And so for me, it was just like, I need you to listen to me and not make me feel like I'm crazy, which he did. And I need you to maybe do a little bit more with the baby because I just don't. I'm still trying to figure out how to reconnect with like Christy Aletto, the person and not just be Christy Aletto, the mom. Yeah. Yeah. And once again, it was great that your boyfriend and now husband (laughs) was able to say that I'm willing to listen because sometimes our support networks, they don't know what to do. And sometimes they try to do instead Mm -hmm. of and so that's great that he was willing to do that, but also that you were also able to advocate for what you needed. You know, I think that it can be hard when you're used to killing it, crushing it, and be in a life situation or in a moment where you need support and help and to be able to identify that. And I, I love how you said this, figuring out who you are as a mom, who you are as a person, and probably who you are as a professional and trying to yeah. distinguish between all of those. That was definitely a challenge too. Uh, and just, I think that just goes back to, you know, there was no guide on how to be a new parent or, and or a new working parent in a pandemic. So I felt like, I was like, I don't know, like every day something was changing, right? It was like more restrictions. This is down like close forever. Can't, you know, can't go and have play dates. You can't introduce your kids to anything. We don't have daycare. So now I have to screen for a nanny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what am I allowed to do at work? <laughs> there are a lot of changes to, you know, life before. I always call it BCC because my daughter's name starts with a C. And it's always like life before coronavirus and Clark. <laughs> right. And I was mor- mourning the death of like my life pre-pandemic and my life as um, not a mom, yeah. as just somebody who I was only responsible for myself. And that's really hard. It is. And you know, like, I think that's a really crucial moment, right? That sometimes we don't talk about uh, as parents uh, and as mothers that like, there is a loss <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with like owning that. Like there's a loss of like, this is who I was. This is how I operated. This is what I did. I love this part of my life now, but I also love that part of my life then. And that it can be a shift or a transition 
that we have to at least acknowledge. And then when you, yeah, like you said, you throw the pandemic on top of that, it's like, it's a lot. Uh, and so like, I, I'm wondering like with all the stuff that you've had to do, I'm also assuming, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you still then still have to show up at work as if like you weren't dealing with all of that. Right. Um, so one, I will say a gift that I do have is I'm actually very good at compartmentalizing my life. So when I come to work, I don't bring any of that stuff at my house, like to work and vice versa. So I will say that has been a blessing because if I were to like bring some of that stuff in, who knows what would be going on inside my house. I'm not worried about what would be happening at work. I'm more worried about what would be happening to my family life. But um, so that was pretty good. But there were a couple of times last year that you know, would trigger, like something would trigger me that normally wouldn't trigger. And it was kind of the same thing that was happening in 2015. And the photographer that I was working with, because we were assigned the same person every day to limit exposure because of the pandemic, he said to me, which was fine because I spent more time with him than I did with my own family. Um, He was like, hey, you know, something's a little off. Mm. I'm not asking you to tell me what it is, but he's like, I've worked with you long enough to know, like, this is not how you normally function. Um, have you thought about seeing anybody? Wow. And that's when I, I remember turning to him and I didn't cry because I don't cry at work or anything, but I remember feeling a little emotional, but also like a weight was being lifted because it was the first time that I had acknowledged outside of my family unit that I needed help. And I was like, well, my doctor said that I had postpartum depression in January and I chose to ignore it because I got cleared to work out, which you know, like I love to do. But now that the gyms are closed in the city, um, it's very hard for me to get that endorphin release and it's not and i know i'm blaming it on endorphins but really i just need to see somebody because of x y and z and i was like i've never said that out loud but i really appreciate you you know like saying this to me because now i feel like that i've addressed it or even recognized it outside of my family unit that i really do need to take the steps to get this addressed there is something about being seen right there's something about no matter how we are where we are for somebody to see us see us in whatever we're dealing with and for your photographer to see you that way to acknowledge and it sounds like a really thoughtful kind way that he approached it totally Uh, to be able to say like i just recognize something's different and then you took it you took the moment in my opinion you took that vulnerability moment to say like all right i'm gonna share and i could like what you said like Working out is one of those things, or physical activity is one of those things I encourage people to do if they're ever dealing with a lot of anxiety or depression or just off, and because it can help. But like you said, with the pandemic, lots of things were shut down. So so the things that you use for your lifeline was now being taken away from you. Of course, everything else was gonna be more intense. And that sounds like a really pivotal moment for you in your life. And and I'm wondering, like, how did you battle against any like self-talk that would say like, don't say it or don't share that or don't admit it? Uh, I mean, I feel like it's not talked about enough and I don't feel 
self-conscious about that I went through that because that is what happened to me. I did, you know, and I'm sure you have a wife, right? Yes, I do. So when you, so then you're familiar with, (laughs) so you're familiar with like, I didn't know anything about this, but when you go in for your six week checkup with your doctor and also with the pediatrician, I was filling out these forms that I was like, why am I filling out this questionnaire? So I'm, and I didn't know what the questionnaire was for. So I'm literally answering honestly, like check, 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 check. And, you know, the score comes back and both the pediatrician flagged it first. And then my doctor flagged it oh. next. And I was like, no, 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 no. I just need to go work out. But I think because I think the pandemic, not having um, my gym open, I was forced to acknowledge what was going on with me. And the thing is, is that I didn't take it to work. Nobody knew. I was still killing it like at work on air, like nobody would have any idea. And that's why I was like, you know what, honestly, this is what's going on with me. And I'll, you know, I'm not going to, this is the only time I'm going to talk about it, but this is what's going on. And I appreciate you even saying this because now it's, it's telling me that I need to go get need to see somebody and talk to someone about this. And oftentimes, you know, that's what we need to move forward is to acknowledge yeah. it somewhere. And, you know, I want to highlight that, you know, you're talking about some really major things today, right? You're talking about postpartum depression, which is often not really talked about a lot, uh, especially in folks that we feel got it together. They're okay. They're handling all their things or people in, you know, who are high achievers like yourself. We kind of like, oh, no, they're fine. But no, it's real and it's real for you. And then you also talked about like, you know, even the trauma and part, you know, maybe even dealing with, you know, some PTSD from just your job and showing up in places where some horrific, dangerous things have happened and how you navigated all of that. I mean, I am just, uh, I'm, I'm impressed and in awe, but more so thankful that you were willing to take care of yourself and do what you needed to do to say, this is the real story. This is me. And I need to find some support. Yeah. And I think also, well, thank you. I think um, I don't see, I don't talk to this person anymore, but I I did spend like a good portion of my summer, you know, talking to somebody about what was going on with me. I think also what it has helped me do is make sure that I can carve out time for myself Mm. to just check in with myself, even if it's just like 20 minutes. Like, okay, what's going on with Christy? Like, what does Christy need? Because if I'm if I'm not okay, the family's not okay. Right. And that's the most important thing is my family has to be okay. Like I need to be a good spouse. I definitely need to be a good mom. And if I'm like all over the place, my daughter will feel it right away. Yeah. Yeah. They they feel it just in our body language, in our tones, in our just how we show up. And so I'm glad that you said that. So we're coming to the end of our time, and there's a few questions I'd just like to kind of end with. And uh, so I'm going to ask you these things, and some of these things you've already said already. Um, So I'm wondering for you, what does mental wellness mean? Uh, What does that mean for you? Oh, I feel like that's just what I just said. Um, So I think mental wellness is, you know, doing a daily check on yourself, whether that is carving out time for yourself, which is what I do. 
And um, a lot of times that's like carving out 50 minutes for me to go to solid core and work out and then come home and be like, it's so much better. Or it's, you know, taking a walk with my daughter and while she's, you know, sightseeing, like just being present with her and just grateful and thinking about like, okay, how am I doing today? Um, because again, if I'm not okay, or if you as an individual aren't okay, you're not going to be a good partner, a good sister, mother, father, whoever. Um, and I think that's the most important thing is making sure that you are checking in on yourself and having a good relationship with yourself so that you can be a good whatever and have good relationships with the people around you. Yeah, I, I agree with that. As they say, plus one, right? Like I b totally believe in what you're saying and how, you know, we hear this so many ways. We got to take care of ourselves. <laughs> and that just uh, yeah. that ripple effect. All right. So the other question is, what mental wellness advice would you give to your younger to your younger self? And your younger self could be yesterday or many years ago. That's a good question. Um, actually, because this is stuff that I still struggle with now, is not trying to worry about things that are beyond my control or that haven't happened yet, right? Like I'm a planner, but and I get anxious a lot, just like most people do. And I'm always like worried about things that I don't have any control over. And I was even just having a conversation with my husband before we began about something else where I was like, well, what if this happens? Or this hasn't happened yet, but I'm freaking out. And I'm just, I feel so overwhelmed. And he was like, Christy, exactly. Just what you said, it hasn't happened yet. And you don't have any control over it. The only thing you have control over is how you react to it. He's like, and if you keep worrying about this, you're going to be crazy. Not, I mean, like, not in a bad way, but right, you know right, what I mean? Right, like, yeah. you're going to be, you're going to make the wrong decisions or you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And I, I think everybody has that at some point, right? Like, you're worried about a test. You're worried about, if you're in school, obviously, you're worried about um, your kids, <laughs> all types of stuff. So I think it would be, don't worry about things that are beyond your control or that haven't happened yet. I think that's really great. Uh, and that's exactly what anxiety tries to do. It tries to make us so consumed with the future and what isn't and what is to come. And we get so caught up when we're, we still have to live it out. And so I, I think that's great. Um, and for, for you, especially maybe in your career, like what do you believe is the intersection between mental wellness and being a high achiever or someone uh, who is in, uh, your particular profession. How do you see this connection? What do you mean? Oh, sorry. Uh, so just to be a little bit clear. So in the work that you do, how important is it to take care of your mental health and your mental wellness? Oh, um, well, I think it's really important to do that because a lot of times, at least for me, like I come across stories that if I wasn't okay mentally could trigger me into something or you I don't want to say are impacted by a story but sometimes you find yourself in a story where like for instance let this time last year I was covering something um in South Philadelphia and I got called a derogatory word wow. on camera wow. and had I not been okay and also gone through that experience in my first job yeah 
that could have been, you know, I could have Not held on to Alabama. that. <laughs> right. I could have held on to that. Um, you know, and I could, it could have been a detriment to me and, and how I tell stories and, and so forth, or just like, even in my mental capacity, whereas, you know, at this point I was like, okay. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that goes to what you said earlier, right? That, you know, the reason why I said shout out to Alabama is that like, you were really clear about how that tr trained you and gave you such great uh, perspective that you're able to use now and some of it wasn't always positive and and i could hear that right and then how like where you are now like to that to that experience to be called a derogatory word or phrase to to and have to have composure and thoughtfulness and kindness um it's not easy uh, which takes and, a lot out of you too <laughs> yeah. and, and and right and and being able to be at a good mental wellness, mental health place is essential <laughs> to handle something like that. You know, I appreciate, you know, everything you shared. I, I, I'm wondering if there, is there something that you're working on now or something that you are, uh, that you want to share with people who are listening that is connected to you or projects, whether directly with your work or somewhere else that you might be involved with? Um, nothing at the moment that I want to share. Cool. Uh, I might have someone little bit but not at the moment right. oh, oh well i like that and maybe hopefully we will uh maybe uh be able to hear that or come back to it you know this has just been great for me just being able to have this conversation with you learn more about your work but more so about you and your moments your human moments uh, that you've had uh joining us here on leapcast where we explore unexamined human moments and now today, uh, you've been listening to this this podcast, Leapcast, uh, where we just really want to highlight uh, human moments of high achievers, like our guests, Christy Ioletto, AP and Emmy award-winning <laughs> journalist, uh, for just being here and joining us. And so we really appreciate that. And um, uh, so thank you for listening. Thank you, for Christy, for being here, for all that you shared. I am definitely, uh, I've learned a lot and I'm thinking about what are those early moments that I've taken, that I've learned lessons that have helped me in my career right now. That's that's a takeaway for me. So thank you so much for sharing that during this time. Thank you so much for thinking of me and for having me on your podcast. Wow, what an incredible ride we just went on with another great member of the Leapcast community. I appreciate you listening and hope you got some tangible value from the episode. Please let us know what you think by leaving a comment, rating, and review. As always, please don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Dr. George James, and I'll see you next time.